You're listening to the WGU Alumni Podcast, a podcast all about noteworthy night owls. Join us each episode as we highlight WGU alumni and share ways to help you stay engaged. Here now is the WGU Alumni Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the WGU Alumni Podcast. This is episode 15, and we've got another great episode for you today. Uh, This is your host, Jeff Burton, and I'm joined by my boss and co-host, Sarah Van Winkle. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Jeff. I love how you introduce me as your boss first and then co-host. But Sarah, just uh, so you know, everywhere I go, this is my boss, Sarah, please. (laughs) And I love that we're doing this podcast. We're having a lot of fun doing these, and we have a great episode today, another uh, standalone episode, um, follow-up to a conversation we had back in episode nine with Jason Thompson. Yeah, Jason has some very fascinating stories. And I tell you, every time we talk to him, we learn a little bit more. And we always joke, right, that his stories are going to get snatched up either by, a you know, an author, a, a book will come out, or even a movie because they're, yeah. they're some great stories. Absolutely. I, I mentioned that to him. I think, you know, we're, we're going to make this a regular segment, the Jason Thompson segment on the podcast, because not only is he just great to talk to and fun, he, like you said, he's got amazing stories, and I, you know, when we were interviewing him for this podcast, as we were wrapping up, he's like, "Oh, I just thought of another story and another story," and so I don't know that he's ever going to run out of stories. So I think we've got a potential forever guest, which I'm totally down with. Yeah, totally. And as you mentioned, we're having a lot of fun on the podcast. We're actually getting some pretty good reviews. Um, some people are liking what they're hearing. Yeah, we're getting close to a thousand downloads and our listening audience is growing. We're really excited about that. I've been sharing it on my LinkedIn profile quite a bit, as well as my personal Facebook page, because I'm proud of what we're doing. I think, you know, Jeff, you and I have had a lot of fun with this, like we've said, but we're bringing some really important topics to the podcast. And most importantly, we are shining a light on our alumni across the country in all of our colleges who are having great success in their careers, they're doing great things in their community, they're writing books, they're, you know, sharing advice. And this is exactly why we wanted to start this podcast in the first place. So check the box, dream come true for me. I feel like, you know, I, I'm i a little biased, but I think we're doing a great job with the guests that we've had on and that we plan, that we're planning to have on. It's just something that I get really excited about. Yeah, me as well. I think it's been a lot of fun. And today, as we mentioned, we've got Jason on. It is important, and we wanted to make sure that we were sharing the things that we're learning from him with our alumni audience. So without further ado, let's uh, toss it over to WGU's Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity, Jason Thompson. So Jason, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. How's your summer going since we last talked? Uh, hot. The last couple <laughs> weeks here in Colorado have been very hot, but other than that, it's going great. Going okay? Kids doing yes. okay? Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, my daughter's actually getting ready to go back to college, but uh, uh, it's good to have them around as much as they have been. A little nervous about sending her back, but it's, it's good. I was going to say, how's dad feeling about that? Yeah, it's hard not to be a little nervous, and I kind of got spoiled. I really like having the kids around, so mm-hmm. it's a little kind of sad to see her go <laughs> well we wish her all the best and the rest of your family as well uh, it's probably been an interesting summer in that I don't know if you typically go on a on a vacation or a trip I don't know if you've been able to do that or if you guys are uh, kind of just hunkering down uh, in the Colorado area yeah we're just hunkering down you know we had 
well, you know, it just really isn't a great time to try to go on a vacation, but it, you know, and it's forced us to be at home a lot more than we would otherwise. And so we've just tried to, you know, do some more things in the backyard and that kind of thing. So it's been good, but it's no vacations this year. Hopefully that changes for you and for everybody else here very soon. Yeah. Well, Jason, should we jump into this episode? Yeah, let's do. Happy to do it. Okay. Awesome. So on the last episode, you told us that you discovered that you were dyslexic and that you discovered that uh, a little bit later in life, actually, that you had kind of gone through your whole academic career not really understanding or knowing this. Yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, an interesting, I guess I think it's interesting, but the way I found out was probably maybe four or five years ago, um, I was listening to NPR and they began explaining dyslexia and there's different forms of it. And I remember her talking and thinking, wow, everything she's currently explaining is what I have. And I had always assumed dyslexia was just, you, you know, you kind of switch letters or you switch numbers. And it, as a result, that's where, you know, your challenges come. But for me, I, I just cannot recognize words, which seems weird now that I say it out loud. But, you know, I grew up as a kid, just I was a terrible reader. And I remember just, you know, my brothers would help me and my mom's Japanese, so she couldn't help me at all. She didn't really read English very well. And my brothers would get so frustrated because they would show me a word like when. I could never like make sense of that word. And they would read it to me and the next sentence would have the same word and I would not be able to recognize it again. And it happened all the time. And I just remember them like, I just told you that Jason, you know, and then they, they would get frustrated and I'd go to my other brother and then sometimes my dad. And it was, you know, looking back on it, it was, it's not sensical. Like they looked at me like, you're just, I, they couldn't believe I couldn't understand the same word literally in the next sentence, or even two words later, I just could not recognize it. And it happened so all the time. for both of you, for you and your brothers. Yeah, you know, you can imagine we're little kids, that they, they get tired of me doing that. And my mm -hmm. middle brother is literally a genius. I mean, the guy is just incredibly smart. So I'm sure for him, this made no sense at all. Mm. Um, and it didn't for me either, um, mm. growing up. And then luckily, you know, I listened to NPR and there it is, you know, she starts explaining. It. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I've struggled with my entire life. What went through your mind when you heard the report on NPR? That had to be a little crazy to hear, but also probably very insightful at the same time. Yeah, in some ways it was kind of relief. And then all of a sudden, like everything makes sense, you know, growing up and not being able to read. And then she was just describing how she had struggled herself with, even to this day, she's like, if I see a word I've never seen before, I cannot pronounce it. I cannot. And I was like, that's exactly who I am if there's a word in a book or whatever that I've never seen before, like sounding it out makes no sense to me. I can't make those letters work. That combination for whatever reason doesn't make sense um, for me. And I, and then it was kind of relieving in a way that all the things I've been able to go through and why I was struggling made sense. Um, and then it, there was a moment too, where I think, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually got this far. I mean, I actually have a master's degree. I um, somehow got myself through my undergrad got to grad school, you know, and uh, for a little while I even wrote a, a column in a senior's newsletter. And, you know, just that process alone, thinking through all the, the struggles I went through, um, it, it was kind of, you know, it made sense all of a sudden, the struggles and why I was struggling to read. Well, what I don't want to use the word amazing because I think people use that word too much, but that really is an amazing story. The fact that you have accomplished all these things and working on the newsletter, I mean, that to me, if you have this form of dyslexia, it just seems like it would be almost impossible to do some of these things that you've done and you have achieved. So I say kudos to you. And, and one thing, um, two things, actually, one thing is you use the word relieved and that's exactly what I was thinking, but I wondered if that's how you would describe it. So uh, 
having that feeling of relief, that's had to be just outstanding and just, oh my gosh, I actually know why this is happening and it makes, it's starting to make sense now. So I'm so glad that you had that, um, and achieved that relief because that's, that has to be a struggle for you. And then the other thing is that in these town halls that we've been having and having different discussions, different topics, and it, the last one that you led was really great. And you, you brought this to the forefront. You talked about how you're having to read the slides and it may take you a minute. And so I want to appreciate you for that because I think there's probably other people in the WGU community but as employees or even alumni and students or prospective students that have this and hearing you talk about it so openly can actually help them as well. Yeah, you know, I hope so because there's a lot of shame that comes with that because you could imagine, yeah. you know, when I was like in elementary school, I was a terrible reader and I remember teachers telling me you should work harder, you're not paying mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. And just not, you just don't want to read in front of people. Like that's like the scariest thing for me, even to this day that you just, I just don't, in, don't want to read in front of people because it's so hard. And, you know, I'd hope that being able to just share that would hopefully, you know, make other people feel better because there's so much shame that comes with that. Yeah. And unnecessarily. Um, and Absolutely. I don't, I, you know, so hopefully it was helpful. And, and honestly, looking back on it, I don't think some of the teachers necessarily were being mean to me. It didn't, you know, we, you know, I guess it shows my age, but there really wasn't any way to, uh, you know, identify that at that time. There wasn't mm -hmm. any resources like they have now. So it probably did appear that Jason's not even trying because he can't make sense of this word. Right. And, we, and I just told him the word. Yeah. Um, and I just remember it was about third or fourth grade. Um, I was in a school that had a, a special ed program, but it was for severely uh, developmentally delayed children, you know. Mm -hmm. But I remember they came in one day, I was in third grade, and she comes to the door, the, the special ed teacher, and points at me, and I thought at that moment, oh my gosh, you know, and I, and I, and I was one of the few, you know, children of color in that whole school, there's only like three black kids, me and my two brothers, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, I don't want to be that stereotype, I don't want these kids to think that I'm stupid, they already think, you know, these negative stereotypes about black people, and if right. I have to go with her, this is proof. And, you know, she kind of waves me over and I thought, oh my gosh. And I thought, just do not cry. Like in that moment, oh. even as a kid, I was like, I don't want these people to see me cry that I am not stupid. I can do this. And she takes me to test me for about two weeks. She, I had to go to these tests and somehow I passed them. And I think what saved me is that I have a pretty good memory. And mm. most of it was like memory games. And so uh, I remember the first one she did was so easy. I was like, is, I almost failed because it was so easy. She just had this box of little blocks that were different colors. And she pulled out like a red one, a green one, and a blue one, and put them back. And then she said, can you do that? And then I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I wasn't paying attention. I thought it would be more complicated. Yeah. I was waiting for her to do something difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and luckily I, I must have done it appropriately. Um, and obviously I, she, for whatever reason, she didn't put me in that, in that, in that program. Um, and I stayed in the classroom. And for the most part, my, I was probably a C student. Like I could read enough to, to almost pass anything. And that's how actually how I got through college as well is I actually, um, this sounds even more ridiculous, but I would go to class the first week. And if the class was based on the book, I would drop it and go to another class. And I would take the class. I literally would ask the instructor, is the test based on the book or your notes? And if they said notes, I stayed in the class. Mm. And uh, generally I didn't, I couldn't afford the book. So I generally didn't buy the books, but, and that's how I passed because uh, I can recognize the words if I heard them before. And so in a weird sort of way, I can get a C in any class just by going, I never miss class. I just went every day, made sure I got there. 
and I could just recognize the patterns right away because I've heard it before, right. recognize those words and typically pick the right answer. And, well, uh, you obviously, you know, figured out what worked for you to get through that. And I know you talked about um, asking your brothers for help, but you couldn't ask your mom. She was from Japan uh, and you were born in Japan, I believe you said on the last podcast. And so how um, how did how did that happen? You were born in, in Japan and ended up in the U.S. Yeah, my uh, dad was actually in the military, so he was in the Air Force. He got stationed in Japan, and that's where he originally met my mother. Uh, she was actually teaching uh, Japanese, and my dad happened to be in that class, and that's how they met um, in Japan. And then eventually he actually came back to the States, got stationed back in Japan, and then I was born uh, the last of four in uh, Misawa, Japan. Have you been able to go back to Japan at all and live there other than that time? You know, um, the sad part is no. My uh, mother had just had incredible stories and had an incredible life. Um, and so for whatever reason, her family didn't, well, there's probably a lot of reasons, I'm sure, but didn't totally approve of my dad, didn't really want her to leave Japan the last mm -hmm. time. And my mom had a lot of pride, and they didn't think she should leave Japan and come to the U.S., mm -hmm. and she did anyway for my father. And... Um, so she never really went back and we struggled financially. Her family actually did reasonably well financially. So I think she wouldn't want them to see us, you know, in a weird sort of way. It's kind of her pride, I think. Didn't want to embarrass sure. herself. And, yeah. And so and we never really went back. Well, maybe in the future when we're able to travel again, that'd be a great family vacation or trip to yes. go back and, and see some of the, the areas where you were when you were a small child. Yeah, I would love to go back. That's always been on my, my list. And uh, I meant to go, my mom has passed away, but I'm, I'm and I wanted to go back before she passed just so we could go together and she could point mm -hmm. out these things. And unfortunately, I didn't. I should have made it more of a priority looking back on it now. But I wanted to ask you about another um, story that you mentioned again on the on the previous podcast. You mentioned that you were the, the first person of color to run for and become student body president at the University of Wyoming. And I also remember you said it was an incredibly tense campaign. Can you tell us what happened, what the yeah. experience was like for you, and, and what you learned from the overall experience? You know, it's funny because in a, in a way it was almost like uh, right out of a movie, though, when looking back on it. But essentially the way I ended up running, I, I don't have any political aspirations. So um, at the time I was a grad student, and um, I was married, and I had a kid uh, at the time. And but a, a friend of mine who was an undergraduate had always wanted to be student body president. A Latino guy, his name's Dominic Martinez. And so me and my wife were literally having lunch in the union. Dominic comes up, he's all but in tears, and he's like, well, I was going to run for vice president, but I don't think I'm going to because everybody is talking me out of it, and they're telling me I shouldn't do this, including the advisor to student government, that he wasn't smart enough. And, you know, he, could tell he was really hurt. And my wife says, well, I know what the solution is. And me and Dom were like, okay, what? And she said, well, Jason, you should run with him. And so I said, okay, Dom, if you want me to, I will. And he said, yeah. And that's how it started. And I naively assumed it wouldn't be any big deal. You know, I'm just going to put my name on some posters and just do, you know, whatever, just so Dom wouldn't have to do this by himself. And um, within the first couple of days, every poster I put up, you know, you start this campaign is being ripped down. And even to the point of um, someone called me and threatened to beat me up on the, over the phone. Oh, wow. um, and it just... And I remember at one point, um, uh, you know, people were literally harassing. My wife worked on campus. She wasn't a student at the time. She was working there. And some students who supported this other candidate were literally harassing her at work. And 
and the first that you know they run this general election or the primary election i guess you call it and so there's three of us running the incumbent me and obviously there's this other uh gentleman running i can't remember his name now but he literally wore a hat with a confederate flag on it mm. so which i you know looking back at it i was like he's like out of a movie so you know we run this this you know primary election and they have to get down to two candidates so it it literally ends up where i lose by 10 i end up being second and the incumbent wins right by 10 and so uh i happened to have a friend that was in the room and she said you know they allowed his fraternity brothers to actually count the vote and they threw out 10 of your votes she said i don't know why they just did and so that started creating a lot of problems because once i got out it was like how can you allow you know the incumbents fraternity brothers to count the vote like this makes right. no sense yeah that makes no sense yeah and it started getting even more contentious you know um every day as we got closer to the election well it got to the point where i remember one day i get a phone call and it's literally somebody who's with the, the united states justice department and he says jason are you okay and i was like yeah and he said well you know we've heard all the things going on so i thought i should check in to see we you know it's on our radar here there's we have some concerns and i was like oh wow <laughs> yeah i know i was like i thought it was good but now that you're calling me maybe i should be more nervous yeah <laughs> um and it, it like i say it got to the point that they um literally the city of laramie had to bring in all their election co equipment and they literally ran the election it's the only time that that ever had to be done that um people who literally paid to run the elections were brought in and they brought in all their election equipment from the city and ran the election. Um, and then, uh, as luck would have it, I won. And I actually ended up winning by a landslide. Oh, wow. Think, well, it got so contentious and it was in the paper and then, you know, in the, the student paper and everything that I think, you know, the good side is that there were a lot of good people there who just felt like this is too mm -hmm. much. Like, you know, we're, we're better people than this and voted accordingly. And I ended up winning by a landslide. So. Wow, what what a what a story! And like you say, it it totally feels like a movie, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were so many things. Oh, matter of fact, I have an interesting story. So on our board is uh, Garinger. I can't think of his name right now. He was the former governor, Jim, Jim Garinger. Yes, yeah. Jim Garinger, former yeah. governor of state of Wyoming. And so, this is the beautiful thing about this connection here. So when I was student body president, he was actually ex officio on the board. And when you're student body president you become ex officio now. He probably doesn't remember this, but this is something powerful that happened that was some days, even to this day, brings me to tears. So the advisor to the student government didn't actually want me to be president either. And there's a lot of stories there as well, but so the whole year she's literally harassing me. And, and mm -hmm. when I first got elected, my wife, first thing she says is, hey, go get your passport. Um, because every student body president gets to go to like Egypt or something. They go to this trip and they learn about government. So I get my passport and I go to her and I say, hey, you know, I have my passport you know, how do I go and organize this? And she says, I don't know. And I said, I'm sorry. And she'd literally been a 30 years doing this for 30 years. She says, I don't know how that happens. So um, a week after the deadline, she says, oh, I found this on my desk, Jason. And it was the application to go to Egypt. So I contact the, the, this organization. They said, no, sorry, it's too late. You can't go or whatever. So it becomes apparent that, you know, it is getting really contentious and you know, the whole year I don't get to go on any trips. I don't get to do anything typical student body presidents get to do because she literally doesn't want me to. She didn't want me to win. She didn't want to work with me. And she just harasses me the whole year, like just, you know, relentlessly. But anyway, uh, Governor Garinger got word that I didn't get to go on a trip. 
So he adds me to this delegation that represents the state of Wyoming so that I can go to uh, Philadelphia for this trip. I mean, it just brings me to tears. It was so nice of him. And I remember he emails me and tells me he would like me to go and I have to respond and say, well, I can't afford it. And he says, well, I'm sure there's, there's some dollars for this within student government. So I go to the advisor and she says, no, I know nothing about this. I don't know how it happens. Hmm. I kid you not. I told him I couldn't go. What she told me within five minutes, I get a different phone call. Here's <laughs> money for you, Jason. This is going to happen. So oh. it was just so beautiful that he, you know, the, that he wow. fixed it. You know what I mean? Like I'm no, nobody, I'm nothing. And he's the governor. Um, and so it was just nice. And my wife got to go. And we both sometimes look at those pictures and cry because she was pregnant with our second child. And we had little Justice, my oldest. And it was just kind of a nice way to get away from everything and go to this incredible event. I think Clinton was still the president. I got to you know, see President Clinton the whole nine. It was incredible. Wow. What a, a disappointing story, but what a great end to that. Because, I mean, just what you said, that's just amazing for Governor Geringer to step in like that and be able to provide the opportunity for you and your wife when at every other instance you're being turned away, told no, yeah. I don't know. Um, so have a little bit of redemption there. Yeah, it's, and I think it shows that we all have some power of an influence if we choose to use it to make things right. 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 And so even though, you know, these things happen that have to be racist or sexist or whatever it might be, these acts of discrimination, if we just use our own, you know, power of influence or we can, we can make change. So Jason, I love that thought. In connection to that idea, how are you drawing on these personal experiences in your role as vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah. You know, I think that's some, probably where some of the passion comes from because I can understand how, you know, a lot of times we think about diversity, we don't think about people with disabilities mm-hmm. and a lot of disabilities are invis- invisible and mine is invisible. So I can, I feel like I can relate to students who are struggling, who have disabilities, um, and many students who maybe English is not their first language. You know, growing up with my mother and seeing how, how hard she worked and how you know she was a dishwasher essentially, and she served food most of her life, um, because that was basically the kind of job she could get. So I can relate to the struggle and how hard that is, and um, you know she couldn't even write a check, and you know back in those days everything was check. You know you had to write right. a check and. I had to write my own notes to school. So if I was sick, I had to write the note myself. And I'm dyslexic, so you can imagine how horrible that thing was written. And then they could tell it was not written by my parents. My mom's, and my mom's signature was equally as bad because she could barely read in English, you know, write in English too. So um, I remember a couple of times in high school, they would call me out like, come on, you gotta be kidding us. We know that. And I'd have to explain, no, oh, this is kind of how it is. But you know, That's people didn't That's what I was gonna ask it. you. How many times did you actually, did people actually believe you? Well. I, you know, I got called out a couple times, but also, which is kind of sad, is I wasn't a good student. So I think there's there, there's part of them too, like why even fight this? You know, Jason isn't a good student. You know, it's, and so a couple times they kind of question it um, and explain. And what's interesting, my dad's hand, handwriting is incredible. It's like John Hancock. And so <laughs> if my dad wrote the note, it would look incredible. Unfortunately, he wasn't around enough to write very many notes, and so it was usually me writing my own and my mom signing it. Really great stories, and I feel like we could have you on every other podcast, and we wouldn't get to all the stories that you have to tell, Jason. Um, you've been here with WGU how long now? Uh, I started in April, so that's okay. it. Four or five months, not, not very long. Yeah, it seems like you've been here a lot longer, so I think because of what's been going on in the world and just, you know, with COVID and people working remotely, but... What are you, what are maybe some of your favorite things about being at WGU so far? And you don't necessarily have to mention that working with Jeff and myself is your favorite because, you know, we definitely don't want to play favorites here. I know. That's where I was going to start. This this has actually been a lot of fun. So I I appreciate you inviting me on. 
um, probably the I got to go to the most re recent board meeting and, and seeing Governor Geringer there. It was his voice that reminded me right away of that memory. It was actually oh, wow. pretty powerful to see. He has a really booming voice. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to do a short presentation. He didn't quite remember me, but I knew as soon as I heard that voice, it just brought back so many nice memories of, you know, that moment. And just reminded me of, you know, we, we all have this power that we can make change. Yes. Um, and then I think the other piece is, um, you know, the, just the way we deliver education allows people who have to keep working to keep working and get their education so that they can get the opportunities that they deserve, you know, the things mm -hmm. they've worked hard for and that the, the, the degree shouldn't be the thing that holds you back. And I just love that idea that, you know, if we can just deliver education in a way that works for a student, it just opens so many doors that would not be open to them. I, I couldn't agree more. And before I came to work with WGU, I had obviously heard of the university. I had seen uh, the owl commercials, which I always thought were, you know, cute and whimsical. And, um, but I, I didn't, I admittedly didn't know as much about the university, obviously, as I do now. But once I started, you know, um, seeing this, this opportunity come open, I started researching university and I just, every new web page that I saw had something new that I was like, wow. And well, that's really cool. Or wow, I didn't know that you could even do that. You know, the competency base was really attractive to me. And um, I know it is to most of our students. And so I totally agree with you. We really appreciate you coming on, making time to come speak with us. Um, I've learned a ton from you already just in your in your short time at WGU, not only through the, the town halls, but through these podcast recording sessions, too. And we love having you on the podcast. So please come back yeah. and join us again. I'd be happy to. Always happy to share if there's, you know, any time that I can come back happy to. And I just think, you know, WGU is an amazing place. So thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to the WGU Alumni Podcast. To learn more about WGU Alumni and Commencement, visit wgu.edu slash alumni. To learn more about anything you heard on this episode or to hear past episodes, visit wgu.edu slash podcast. This podcast was produced by the WGU Alumni Relations Department. Special thanks to producer Bethany Tucker from the WGU Production Studio. And thank you to our WGU Alumni Network, now more than 200,000 strong and growing.